thanks to our sponsor, Raygun. Are you under increasing pressure to ship code faster than ever before? Then it's time to work smarter with Raygun's modern approach to error and performance monitoring. Raygun gives you instant visibility into the health of your software. And what makes it so unique is that not only does it tell you when something's gone wrong, it shows you exactly where it's gone wrong and how to fix it, right down to the line of code. Made by developers for developers, Raygun has built a suite of monitoring tools that are used and loved by thousands of software teams every single day. Monitor every corner of your tech stack with widespread language support and native integrations with GitHub, Jira, Slack, Bitbucket, Octopus Deploy, and more for even greater visibility. Visit raygun.com to resolve issues faster and to deliver flawless digital experiences for your users. That's raygun.com to get started on your free 14-day trial with plans starting from as little as $4 a month. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 439. Today, AC and I are going to talk about hacks, crashes, and a whole bunch of news. Recorded live December 16th, 2021. This episode is brought to you by Geomont. Have you thought about adding contact center capabilities into your existing Microsoft Teams user base? If so, take advantage of our promo to add BuzzEasy Contact Center for Teams from Geomont and get your first month subscription for free. It's a complete omni-channel experience that works seamlessly with Teams Voice. BuzzEasy was developed with best practices in Azure and offers a rich, easy-to-use experience. Geomont is a Microsoft Gold Partner, part of the Technology Adoption Program, and their BuzzEasy chatbot solution for Teams has been chosen as a preferred solution on the Microsoft App Store. See the show notes for details around a special offer. Back to the show. Good morning. How are you? Doing good. And yourself, buddy? Ah, very relaxed. <laughs> Where have you been in the last weeks? I took a trip. Softball over the plate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks for that. Took a very relaxing trip to Hawaii with the missus. And it was lovely. Very nice to get out of town, even just for a few days. And just a different pace of life and awesome. That's nice. Very, That's... very stoked. We inflicted our children on some friends and went without them. It was great. Oh, but congratulations on being able to get away. And yeah, the pictures looked awesome. So the fact that you didn't post a ton of pictures meant that it was probably even more awesome in terms of relaxation. So people say, what do you do? And I was like, not much. <laughs> a lot of our, just a lot of relaxation, <laughs> um, a lot of mooching around and, and, and just chilling. It was nice. That's my style of vacation just to not do anything. I mean, there's the time where you go like touristy and go see areas, yeah. go see stuff, yeah. but that's my style of vacation is just to do nothing and just to sit around. And it's funny when you share that with people, what'd you guys do? It's like, we just went and did nothing, sat by the water, maybe got in a kayak or didn't really do any, you know, a couple of hikes. I'm like, ah, oh, it's just, it doesn't sound fun. I'm like, yeah, that's nice. That's, that's okay. yeah. <laughs> the most energetic thing I did was I went snorkeling. Okay. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah, exactly. Then it was uh, good food, massage, relaxation, a few nice walks. Chill. Yeah. Very nice. Well, congratulations. Glad you guys got away. We came back from nice weather, came back into Seattle, snow. Like, well, that's rude. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've done that. I've done that where like I've left home and it was sunny and like in the 70, 70 degrees Fahrenheit, nice and cool, and get on a plane, connect in, I don't know, connect somewhere. And then I'm descending through the clouds. 
and finally come through the clouds. Remember one time and you look around and it's like, oh, everything is white as far as I can see. Mm-hmm. I was going to Norway. I was like, well, this isn't where I came from. <laughs> Welcome to Santa's Santa's den in the North Pole. Yeah. Oh, man. That place, man. Even even Santa would be like, actually, Minneapolis is more like Santa's like, oh, my God, this place is cold. Yeah. So. <laughs> Classic. How yeah. about you? What and have you been up to? I'm doing a lot of like postmortem of 2021, planning mm. for 2022, what was right, what was wrong, what else was wrong, what else was wrong. Anyway, just doing a lot of like postmortem and um, planning for next year, what I want to do next year. So I'm, you know, getting excited. I'm doing, been talking to just some like different, like, I guess, coach style people, uh, people that I work with and stuff. I'm curious to get your input on some stuff as well. But I was really just kind of validating, am I on the right yeah. track? Do you think this is right? Somebody please poke holes in it and find the people right. who will be honest enough to uh, challenge you and be like, nah, you're off your rocker, man. Instead of just saying, yeah, yeah that sounds nice. That sounds great. As a wise friend of ours once said, Brennan Ford, who's, who, who we both know, said, um, uh, the biggest room in your house is always the room for improvement. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> that's a great quote. I love that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, well, that's cool, actually. Thinking about the thinking about the year ahead and, and figuring out what, you're, what moves you're going to make. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. It's good times. Yeah, it is. I find it's helpful to like not just put the notes down, but then go share it with a couple of people. And I do it in a specific order of people who have different context and different, both of me, my business, where I want to go and of the industry. And like, you're one of those people that I want to reach out to. I've talked to two other people who aren't even like, I know nobody in our, in our podcast has a clue who they are. And then there's another one who's in the space that I'm actually, I, I call it my pitch, but it's not really a pitch. But it's, it's what I'm doing tomorrow. I'm doing that with her later on this afternoon. That's it's the one I'm one of the more anxious ones because she's got a really good pulse on what's going on in our mm. in our yeah yeah like she's she's the closest to me in terms of like what I do today and what she does today and so I have a lot of respect for what she says and she's also she's also one that would be, will be very very honest. So I have this like anxiety of I really hope she likes this, but the other side is I really hope that if she doesn't. I know she's going to tell me and I don't want yeah. to hear this. So I don't want to be like off the, I don't want to be like off the, the chart. Yeah. So, or off the, I know what you mean. You want that honesty. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Anyway. Well, that sounds exciting. Good stuff. It is. Yeah. Good stuff, man. So what are we doing today? We're going to talk about some news. But before we do that, why don't we start with you going through some what's new in Microsoft 365 right after this short break. This episode is sponsored by Orchestry. Don't be fooled. Microsoft Teams and SharePoint are difficult. Microsoft Teams, when simply turned on, can be unruly and yield endless sprawl. SharePoint causes constant frustration with user interface and permissioning challenges. End the chaos and harness the full power of Microsoft Teams, SharePoint Online, and Microsoft 365 with Orchestry. Orchestry is the work-made simple platform that empowers end users through controlled self-service provisioning while delivering the actionable insights and lifecycle management your IT administrators need to enable remote and hybrid work productivity without locking down the powerful capabilities of Microsoft Teams and SharePoint Online. See why so many are claiming Orchestry to be the must-have Microsoft Teams management tool of 2021. Get your free access to Orchestry with full featured trial at orchestry.com and tell them the Microsoft Cloud Show sent you to get the all the friends of the show perks. This podcast is brought to you by ShareGate. 
Microsoft Teams can be a great tool for your organization. That is, before your users make your environment messier than eating a hard shell taco. And that's where ShareCake comes in. Their user-friendly tools automate the tedious daily tasks involved in migrating, managing, and securing Microsoft Teams so that you can maintain a safe and productive environment without locking it down. Head over to ShareGate.com for your free 30-day trial and transform the way that you manage your Microsoft Teams. And we're back. All right, AC. Some stuff's been going on. A couple of message center updates for us. We do. We only I only have two here, so this will be kind of quick. The first one is message center 302216. It's called Security Hardening Change of Enforcing Policies for Trusted Documents. This is going to change the behavior of office apps to enforce policies to block active content like macros, ActiveX, on trusted domains previously. Active content was allowed to run in trusted documents, even when an IT admin had set a policy to block it. Doesn't really make sense. But part of an ongoing office security hardening, the IT administrator's choice to block active content will now actually block the active content. <laughs> Ta-da! This is go- a change is going to be, uh, has been released to insiders, office insiders in build 2110. They'll begin rolling this out to everyone else in February of 2022 with an expected completed rollout all the way at the end of May. The other one that I've got here is called Message Center 33513. It's about an anti-malware policy quarantine notifications for recipients. Microsoft is going to start retiring the recipient and sender notification configuration from the UI of the anti-malware policies starting in March of 2022. Instead, they recommend using quarantine policies, which allow administrators to configure and deliver notifications to particular recipients. So those are the two that I have. Nothing too earth shattering, just a couple little changes that are coming up early next year. Nice. We've got some news. So why don't we kick off with that? I'll get started on this one. Okay. Nice way to cap the end of the year. Microsoft got Yahoo's, Yahoo Finance's vote for company of the year 2021. Really? Yeah. I thought this was pretty, pretty cool and a nice sort of yeah, it doesn't really mean a lot in the grand scheme of things, right? But you know, Yahoo Finance have done a have done a nice write up about Microsoft and their performance, and they're basically saying, you know, I'll, I'll cover a couple of things they talk about in this article, but they're basically saying, hey, Microsoft's approaching fifty years old. It just crashed through the two trillion dollar market capitalization in June, and it's just been performing extraordinarily well. So in the last fifty two weeks, this their price, this this stock price has grown 45%, easily outpacing a whole bunch of others in the S&P 500, which rose 21%. And likes of Apple and Amazon rose 23% and 5.5% respectively. So you know they've double performed what Apple have done in the last mm-hmm. 52 weeks. Pretty amazing. Very different businesses, of course, but, but both you know large tech stocks. And then it goes on and gives a bit of detail about kind of why they think it's done well. Really, two things stood out. Satya Nadella's leadership in being able to flourish while being essentially under the radar from public scrutiny and backlash from the government. You know, like we've seen all this year of those public hearings with all the social media companies and we're sitting there going, oh, thank goodness such is not under the, up there. And please don't buy TikTok for that reason. And then also things like reinventing itself by cannibalizing itself, which essentially what it's saying here is, you know, it had to pilfer its own businesses to make way for Azure and focus on some of these new big cash cows, even though it had some misses like Nokia and stuff like that years ago, which is actually quite funny that it's all published on Yahoo Finance because Microsoft came ex- 
extremely close to buying Yahoo at one point. Yeah. Do you remember very, that? I do remember that. Oh, that was another almost Bama moment. It's interesting because I wonder if like, so you're familiar with the stocks they call the FANG, the FANG stocks, the FANG companies? Yes. And I heard the dude that, that has coined the term FANG has now come up with another one. Yeah, like mama. The, the mama? Yeah, that's yeah. right. So for those who don't know what this is, they they we've always or they there's been a reference to like the leading tech companies and tech stocks that are out there. They're referred to as Fang stocks. This is back from 2013, I think is when it started. And Fang stands for a Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. And so now this is back in October, at the end of October, beginning of November, he changed it. And he said, well, now it's going to be, he thinks it's now called, we should rename it to Mama. One of the reasons is that we should drop Netflix. I don't really understand why. He didn't really, he hasn't really said why he's dropping Netflix. Add Microsoft. And well, the G goes away because it's no longer Google. It's really Alphabet, which is, includes Google. They wanted to um, drop, he wanted to drop Netflix because he basically said he doesn't consider it a tech company anymore. Which, I mean, it's, it's a, a It's a content company, and media company. Yeah. Yeah. And I get that. But I mean, it's still, I mean, the tech side. I, okay. I get that. That makes sense. So it's, it stands for Meta, which used to be the F for Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, and Alphabet, which is Google's parent company. So I wonder if we'll see the mama come a little bit, become a little bit more prevalent in discussion. So yeah. We'll see. Oh, it's nice to have the Microsoft recognized considering they're one of the highest performing tech companies in the world, if not the highest over the last couple of years. And it just sort of reeked of the Silicon Valley bubble, not having it included in Fang, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, Yahoo think they're the best performing company of 2021. Very cool. I saw this and I thought you were going to talk about the time person of the year. And I was like, interesting. Yeah. But I, I didn't realize you were going to go with the company side. I'm glad you went with the company side there. I hadn't, I hadn't seen that news. So I learned something from our show today. Amazon has published a uh, root cause analysis or an RCA update to their Epic December 7th outage that they had a couple Mondays ago. Um, I got a link here posted to it in our show notes. Interestingly enough, the day that they posted this, they also had another outage up in the Pacific Northwest from two of their, I think it was US East, I'm sorry, US West 1 and US West 2, both lost internet connectivity for not a very long time, but it was definitely out for a little bit. It was interesting because I was talking to a friend of mine and they were like, do you know anything that's going on? Because uh, UPS can't ship anything and they none of their stores work right now. And so sure enough, I went to the down detector and I looked at the UPS outage map and it spiked. I went to the AWS outage map and what do you know? There's a correlation. How <laughs> about like, that? So UPS not only uses AWS, but they're in the West data centers. Wow. Yeah. Uh, not a good time for outages the last couple of weeks. No, no, not at all. Speaking when things are down and you need to fix them, out of your hands if it's a cloud provider most of the time. Yep. But this last couple of years, there's been a big push around people being able to repair their own devices, you know, if they want, and the right, you know, under the umbrella of right to repair. And, you know, Apple's come under a lot of heat for this over the years um, and has recently said they're going to start giving more repair, like independent repair shops access to more tools to help people fix their iPhones and things like that starting with screens and batteries, I think it was. Anyway, Microsoft have also just come out and said they're offering Surface repair tools for technicians who can buy them via the iFixit site, which I thought was kind of cool, doing it through a, through a third-party uh, vendor like iFixit. Basically, they're going to come out with things for Surface devices. So you know how a lot of modern devices are, or new devices are 
sealed, not using screws and things, but with adhesives. Mm-hmm. And it can be a pain in the butt, like if you need to replace the screen to sort of unmelt all of that sandwich or melt that sandwich, peel it all apart, change the pieces, and then squish your sandwich back together and hope it sort of looks reasonable. Pardon me. They're starting to sell tools to help you do that process and have things go back together correctly. Hmm. Does that make sense? So you can... It does make sense. I guess sort of guides in some ways to be able to put the adhesive in the right spots, squish your thing, you know, squish your screen and everything back together and have it all, you know, look like it would have been repaired by them, which is kind of cool. I really like this idea. It bugs the hell out of me that, you know, a lot of devices are quite hard to repair and that you essentially have to throw them out and buy a new one. Shouldn't be that way. So Mm -hmm. I'm really glad to see both Apple and Microsoft taking steps towards this and hopefully more of it will come in the future too. Mm, interesting. Yeah, that's cool. That's good to see that. I mean, I, I, I've done where I've replaced like a battery or replaced a, a screen on an iPhone and you've got very much, you've got like that sticky stuff, but you have to be very careful about, it's weird how it's set up because if you, you can pull it and as you're pulling it, like it all stays together and it feels like it's about to rip. But if you're real patient with it, it keeps getting longer and longer, almost like really soft chewing gum. Yeah. And finally, it all pops out. Once it all pops out, you can then pick the screen up or you can pick the battery yeah. up. It's like, okay, cool. Now we're good. But you got to get all the stuff like removed before you put the new one down. And when you put the new one down, it's got to be just fit perfectly. So yeah. I mean, the, the iFixit guys have done, done a good job on providing like third-party stuff. But it's nice to see the vendors, you know, helping out with that as well. Yeah. So I had to open up my wife's very old iMac once. To because it had a, it used to have a spinning hard drive in it, you know, like a what an actual spinning <laughs> spinning hard drive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I replaced it with an SSD. And to open it up, you had to really cut the screen off the back of the computer, and then replace all the adhesive when you were done and put it all back together. It wasn't for the faint of heart. And it's kind of one of those you really hope you put the screen in the right spot because here goes nothing, and you squish them all together, and then you hope you've got it in the right spot. Kind of entertaining. Yeah, I've got a bit of news here. This has made a lot of uh, headlines over the last like week, two of in the security space. So there is a very popular utility, a logging utility called Log4j that is used in Java-based systems. And somebody has found a vulnerability in it. And it's a little surprising in the way that this is getting to be such a big deal and the way that people are are and, and how people like Microsoft and other security people were saying how big of a deal this really is on why you should go patch all your systems right away. One of the things, basically what this is, is that they have have figured out a way, uh, the vulnerability enables you to send a message to a system that has, that uses this very popular logging framework. And you send a specially crafted string. And what that does is it enables execution of the vulnerability that then will, when the, when the vulnerability, what happens to the vulnerability is it actually calls out to like phones home to a server that the attacker controls and it essentially fingerprints the vulnerable system. That tells the attacker, oh, there's something that I can, I can actually, I can actually compromise this system, get stuff, I can get access to it, et cetera. Funny enough that it's very popular. It's a very, a very popular library in Minecraft and the game, the Minecraft game. So what people were doing is they were actually sending certain messages in the Minecraft game mm. to trigger this execution, this, this remote execution to happen from Minecraft. You can't really tell that you've been compromised because all it does is basically just phone home to say, hey, this is a, this is a, a vulnerable system. 
And then they come out and they compromise it later. And Microsoft has observed a lot of this happening on non-Microsoft hosted Minecraft servers. Well, granted, you know, hey, this isn't, you won't normally see Minecraft deployed in an enterprise environment. So everybody's like, well, what's the big deal here? Well, they're <laughs> figuring out they can use this same concept on existing systems that are using Log4j. And Microsoft is now starting to see uh, a lot of this happening on PowerShell-based systems. They're seeing a lot of activity from nation states and known threat actors. They once called Phosphorus, which is an Iranian one, another one called uh, Hafnium, which is one based out of China. And they're just pushing people very hard. Update, 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 update. We've seen Microsoft publish updates to it. I believe Apple even published an update to it as well. And a lot of people are, are doing even cloud. I even saw an article where Cloudflare even got into it. And wow. since they're part of the backbone of it, they can actually see when this traffic is happening and they can short circuit it before it even reaches the destination. So oh, that's cunning. It's yeah, it's really interesting. So this is, I mean, you're seeing nation states from people like uh, I said, China and Iran already, North Korea, Turkey, it's getting to be a pretty big thing. They're saying this is going to last for quite a while too, which is interesting. So yeah, there are a lot of systems out there that use this, and mm -hmm. it's pretty widespread. So I can imagine it's going to take a long time to clean up. Yeah. Long time, yeah. pretty nasty. I have two here, two interesting tidbits, I guess, about Windows. The first one is our beloved command line app in Windows is slowly being replaced by the new Windows Terminal application. Now you'll be able to set your default terminal setting on Windows 11. So you can switch from the old cmd.exe to the Windows Terminal application. It's, Windows Terminal is actually not too bad. It's getting there. Hmm. So, so that's kind of cool. And obviously you can, it's got a bunch more to it for, that you sort of expect out of a modern uh, terminal window. If you haven't used it for Windows, you can go get it from the uh, Microsoft Store, I think, and um, go play with it there. Or you can get the, the sort of the the dev release version, sort of the more up-to-date version from GitHub and release it, get it from there if you need it. Not always on Windows 11. You can do it on Windows 10 if you're like me and are not upgrading to Windows 11 just yet. Hmm. Still haven't taken the plunge yet, huh? No, I just see every day I see some new sort of what the hell Microsoft thing about Windows 11. And I just, I just don't, honestly, I'm the old man on my rocking chair on my front porch right now on this. I'm like, don't, don't you make me unproductive for a few days. Mm -hmm. So I haven't it, taken the plunge. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I don't know not if it's warranted this. or not. It's probably not even warranted. It's just, I can't be, I can't be bothered right now. There's some stuff in it that I, I mean, I don't use windows, so it doesn't really matter to me all that much, but I do pay attention to it. And I, like, I don't see anything. What the compelling reason is really to upgrade. Like people talk about Windows 11, I'm like, what's really there to make it what's so interesting? I don't get it, which is fine. I mean, I kind of like that with operating systems now that, like, you know, hey, the, the latest Mac OS came out a couple, like a month or so ago. I got it, but I'm like, oh, okay, there's one feature that I like. But aside from that, everything is such, so small and so subtle. I'm like, yeah, well, sweet. I don't feel like I had this huge, like, change that I got to go figure stuff out. You just got to stay um, current, you know? Yeah, so exactly. You get, the, you get the security updates and little quality of life improvements here and there. Yeah, I am surprised by how heavy-handed Microsoft is being in pushing Edge and forcing Edge on people yeah. in Windows 11. I and mean, it's like, to me, I'm looking at like, isn't this what you got in trouble for with Internet Explorer <laughs> back in the antitrust days? And like, I, did yeah. you? Like, no, but it doesn't I, matter because they're not in a dominant position with the browsers anymore. Well, yeah, but but you're still using, you, can, you don't have to be in a dominant position 
with browsers, they can be in a dominant position with Windows and use that as the dominant position to push other things. Which, but are they in a dominant position? Some would Windows? argue, well, I, yeah, I mean, I know they are on the desktop, but one could argue that they are no longer the platform of choice where people do most of their computing. They use iPads and Androids and iOS devices and all that. And those, the share of time at a computer is much less, you know, far diminished than it was at the time of the DOJ case. At least that's what I think Microsoft would say. Yeah. I get, well, I see. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm still surprised they're going as far as they are, but. Yeah, I know. It does seem a bit heavy handed, doesn't it? Yeah. Second Windows thing here is Notepad for Windows 11 is getting a redesign. I know oh, you've God. all been waiting for it. <laughs> Never held my breath for that long. I'm so glad I can finally start breathing again. Yeah, right. I mean, if it were me, I'd be like, just get, like, go buy Notepad and stick it in Windows. Come on. Just be done yeah. with it. You know, I haven't obviously honestly dug in to what's new about it. Maybe dark mode is about it. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure if that's it. Rounded corners? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. So maybe some, well, maybe, yeah, a few little extra sort of design tweaks. It does look like it has rounded corners. <laughs> oh, there you go. Cool. <laughs> I might switch. I might switch from Mac OS then. I might, I might get me to do it. Ah, oh, rounded corners. Count me in. Yeah, there you go. That was all I've been waiting for. Yeah, mission accomplished. All right. I do have an update here from the Microsoft 365 side, specifically around Microsoft Teams. Microsoft Teams now is, is made it generally available. That end-to-end encryption for all Teams calls is now generally available. IT admins now have the option to enable and control a feature for their organization once the update has been received. I don't know why you'd want to turn this off, but okay. Anyway. I guess if you want now- to... Snoop? I don't know. Snoop on people? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I kind of would take the approach of, you want to snoop on people? Oh, go, it's not our platform. You don't, yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, email feature. We turn on, we now made deliverability a generally available feature. Like, why would you not want? Anyway, so. Right, right. It's nice to have this. It's a nice addition to Teams. You know, it's been a big request, a big demand. Actually a little surprised that this wasn't already the case, but. Yeah. Well, they were, I think they, that's, you know, when Zoom got in trouble for this a couple of years back, remember that? When their end-to-end encryption wasn't really end-to-end in some cases. I think Microsoft were pretty clear at the time. They were like, yeah, we don't even claim end-to-end. Anyway. All right. So let's wrap up some of the news. Last one on the cards here is new satellite connectivity and geospatial capabilities with Azure Space. We all love a bit of space around here, don't we? Hell yeah. I have not quite found a use for Azure Space yet, but I'm actively looking. I would love to, I'd love to, I don't know, do something with this. Yeah. Azure Orbital reaches preview. So now anybody can communicate and control satellites, apparently. Do you need a satellite? Uh, hopefully if they're yours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Back to Log4J. Yeah. Uh, it's not my satellite. I'm talking to somebody else's. Yeah. So they're so Azure Orbital's reaching rich preview. Now anybody can do stuff with satellites. Some other some other announcements they've talked about. They've done some sort of space, it's called Space Eye, seeing through the clouds. So this is all about being able to get better access to close to real-time imagery of the Earth and dealing with one of the major problems with being able to see stuff on the ground, which is clouds above the thing you want to look at. So now apparently there's this new AI-based system called Space Eye which will help remove the clouds and see through them, which I thought was pretty pretty cool. Uses synthetic aperture radar, which 
I don't know what that is, but it sounds pretty whizzy, doesn't it? <laughs> um, to see through, to help see through cloud cover. The second thing they're adding is a thing called project Turing, increasing human perception of overhead imagery. Basically, it sharpens up images from above mm. and makes them look better. They've been do- they also announced a partnership with Airbus for access to more high resolution satellite imagery of anywhere on the planet. Pretty sweet. Great for us flight sim users where they drive all the flight sim in-game imagery from uh, Bing Maps data done from satellite, which is pretty sweet. Uh, yes, and some and some partnership work they've done with Blackshark.ai, Orbital Insight, ESRI, and Airbus. Yeah, so Azure Space continues to make the, I guess, forward progress. Very cool. Now, that's the news. Shall we dive into some picks? Let's get picky. ACs Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. All right, AC, I have seen your post, I've looked through it, and I've just totally jazzed about this. What do you got for us this week? All right, so every single astronaut that has ever flown on a space shuttle has, which is over 350 people, has used a full motion simulator that has usually been housed or has been housed at the Johnson Space Center in Texas. Almost the exact same thing as what they flew. It's a very, even though it was firmly planted, installed on the ground, it, everyone said it shook, it vibrated, it rolled on its back. It was just like flying the real space shuttle. And so when it retired in 2011, artifacts from all around the country were sent to various uh, museums. But this thing was just epic. It was very big. So what they had to do was some people at the at Texas A&M wanted to make sure that this thing was kept in Texas and that it would be able to be operational so people could use it. So they raised $500,000 to bring it to the university's campus in 2012. So it took them a long time to disassemble it, move it. And then unfortunately, once it got to the university, it was put into a large building on campus that did not have enough room to reassemble the simulator and put it on display. So unfortunately, then the university lost control of the building and it had to be moved to a smaller storage area that was not amenable for reconstruction work. And unfortunately, it just sat there. But just recently, they have now figured there was a guy that became a professor of engineering at Texas A&M in 2016. This engineer, she had her name is Dunbar. She had the right uh, blend of expertise as both an astronaut and a curator. She was also the CEO uh, and president of the Museum of Flight in Seattle for five years from 20, 2005 to 2010. She was then tasked to figure out where are we going to put this thing? She busted her hump and got it done and was able to move it back to building or actually back to NASA in Houston, where they provided people a place to go through and start rebuilding this and to start refurbishing it and getting it up and running so that then it would move over to right next door or very close to NASA in Houston, a museum called the Lone Star Flight Museum right near Johnson Space Center. So they agreed to be the new home for it. So it does now have... It's not this article that I have here talks about how they're bringing it back, how they're going through and restoring it, all the cables it takes to do this, how they're having to put new lights in. There's like 1,600 tiny incandescent bulbs on there. Wow. They replaced, they had to go through and unsolder the 1,600 bulbs and put 1,600 new lead bulbs in their place to make it more modern. But yeah, this thing's done. Uh, this would be really, really cool to go sit in this and to kind of play around and to... Uh, have the experience uh, of this, wouldn't it? Hell yes. 
Yeah. So Sign so me cool. up. That sounds <laughs> really good. It's kind of cool. At the, the Seattle Space Museum, Air and Space Museum, was trying to get one of the shuttles, was was kind of in the lottery or the, the process of trying to get one of the shuttles, and they missed out. But what they did get was the full-size mock-up without mm-hmm. wings, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a full shuttle-sized trainer that the, the astronauts used for things like emergency egress training and and things like that. It's got the full payload bay, the rear on it, obviously the cockpit and all that. And that was pretty awesome. I've been up into the cockpit of that and it's it's not an exact replica, but it's pretty close. Yeah. And so to go in one that's a full motion sim with all the controls that work and it's all hooked up and everything would be pretty sweet, dude. Supposed to be up and running and placed in the museum by April of 2022, just in time to celebrate the anniversary of the first shuttle flight. That would be really freaking cool. Sounds like we need a cloud show field trip. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I'm not waiting for a conference to show up for this one. I think this just might be a trip that I want to go take. Yeah, I, I think you might be right there. Should to see if they offer uh, offer rides in it. I'd do it. Yeah, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be awesome? All right, speaking of spacey things, NASA has returned Hubble to full science operations. There's life left in the old girl yet, as they say. It's had troubles. <laughs> it's fair to say this. Yeah, you know, it's been on and off a wee while. They've had, they've had computer problems. They've had gyroscope problems. And actually, this article gives a good timeline of kind of what happened back in November. Hubble Instruments went into safe mode. NASA teams investigating. November the fourth, uh, investigating some more. November 8th, some of the science instruments returned back, you know, and that there were just some problems along the way. And so back in December 7th now, this is a few days ago, NASA has returned Hubble to full science operations. All the instruments are back online that they expect and and it's, and it's able to point in the right direction and hold, hold position and, you know, take photos again. It got, reading this, it got me diving a bit more into a refresher on Hubble's history. And it sort of, I went, you know, you end up in one of those Wikipedia benders where you've got like 50 tabs open. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> oh, it's so deep. And then it was great. Like I did, you know, I looked back on the servicing mission that they had to run to, you know, do lens correction work when it initially launched. And it showed like comparison of what the first image looked like versus what the subsequent ones looked like and how sharp they became over the years based on software enhancements and hardware enhancements. And yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of interesting. They, they don't know when it's going to re-enter the atmosphere. Sometime in the 2030s, I believe, is the current prediction. It's being slowed down slowly due to, you know, suffering from orbital decay due to the upper atmosphere. So eventually that will get too strong and it won't be able to stay up anymore. It'll crash back down to Earth unless Elon comes to the rescue and goes and saves it. And apparently that is on the cards. It's not unheard of. Yeah, I have seen that where it's not unheard of that he that they they could do that, but they've got time to figure it out. So Yeah. They're either going to do like a remote robot that goes and attaches it to itself to Hubble and then boosts its orbit, which would be kind of cool. Or Dragon could go get it and astronauts could hold on to it and grapple it or whatnot somehow, goodness knows, and then boost its orbit. Something along those lines. You know, there's one more honorable mention for I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to speak for the two of us. So there is one more honorable mention of a pick that we have to share this week. I don't have it in our, I don't have it in our picks list. It should be pretty easy for anybody to find. But when this episode comes out on the December the 21st, the next day is going to be potentially could be an absolutely epic day. 
So yeah. December the 22nd, the James Webb Telescope that CJ and I have talked about various times throughout the past couple of years is scheduled for launch. It has been packed up. It is now sitting on top of its rocket that's going to take it. That's going to. It is supposed to go on December the 22nd. It's then going to take about six months for it to get to where it has to get where it's, its target of where it's going to go. And before we start to see the first pictures come back, if you want to see like how crazy this thing is, if you want to see a good video of a description of what this is for like the layperson, go check out the 60 minutes episode or article from last Sunday. So what would that have been? That would have been December the 12th, the episode from 60 minutes from December the 12th, the second article in 60 minutes went through, talked about it and how complicated it really is and how like these mylar sheets are going to use to protect it and everything right. are as thin as tinfoil. There's five of them and they basically separate the hot side from the cold side. There's a difference right. of about 800 degrees Fahrenheit between the two. <laughs> There's a great episode on Smarter Every Day on YouTube about James Webb Space Telescope. So really uh, go check that out too. He did a great he did a great interview on that one. So it's this one, this is a game changer for us as humans, us as a species of being able to look farther back in, in history and see what's going on. So it gives, it gives yeah. me chills. Doesn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. All so, right, AC. Well, oh, we've covered some great news today, some hacks, some crashes, some news, etc., and some awesome picks. So thanks again for another great week. Hope you'll tune in next week. And then remember, James Webb Space Telescope is launching the day after this podcast comes out. So go tune in for that. Fingers crossed that mission goes well. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, man. Have a good one. Yep. You too. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in your favorite podcast app. It helps people find out about our show and grow our audience, and we'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com forward slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or MP3 and provide us a link so we can play it on the show. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to microsoftcloudshow.com, where you'll get notices of each episode as well as the show notes sent to you directly each week. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.